If you're a small business owner looking to grow or expand your business, check out OnDeck Business Loans. OnDeck offers business loans online from $5,000 to $500,000, and their simple application process only takes 10 minutes. Unlike banks, they'll give you a decision quickly, and funding is as fast as one day. Get a free consultation with an OnDeck loan advisor. Visit OnDeck.com podcast. This is the Customer Equity Accelerator. If you are a marketing executive who wants to deliver bottom line impact by identifying and connecting with revenue generating customers, then this is the show for you. I'm your host, Allison Hartsoe, CEO of Ambition Data. Each week, I bring you the leaders behind the customer-centric revolution who share their expert advice. Are you ready to accelerate? Then let's go. Welcome everyone. Today's show is about human-centered AI and to help me discuss this topic all the way from London is Jen Stirrup. Jen is the author of two books as well as the CEO of Data Relish, which is a boutique data science and business intelligence consultancy. But you may have also seen her on some of these amazing lists, the top 17 influencers in big data and analytics, the top 20 women working wonders in AI, ML, and more. And my favorite, the top badass women working in data. And that, I have to say, is a list I want to be on. Jen, this is awesome. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me along today, Alison. I'm really excited to be here. And this is one of my favorite topics. Excellent. Tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, to my knowledge, most people don't start out as a kid saying, I'm going to be an AI. I mean, maybe that's happening today. But how did you get here? I just found I was fascinated by all things data and I was really interested in how we could apply technology with human nature and how we could be human centered using technology to really improve people's lives. That makes sense. But when we think about artificial intelligence, and everybody is so excited about this, but for many folks, the words bring up visuals from Minority Report and Terminator. Can you tell us a little bit about how you think about AI and what makes it human-centered? I think what makes it really human-centered is it really allows us to automate processes and it allows us to meet the most of our human abilities. I'll give you some examples. So if you use artificial intelligence to try and read handwriting, then that means that people can be freed up to do other things. Now, it doesn't mean that we take the human out of it completely. I don't know about you, but my handwriting's terrible. As is mine. I spend so much time typing, I never write anymore. And to read my handwriting, you would definitely need human intervention in order to do that. But I think it really helps to make things faster and better, particularly when we think about customers and their expectations about the services that we supply to them. So handwriting makes sense. And sometimes when I think about automating these processes and then helping people more or less smooth out their lives, it reminds me a little bit of where we were in the email paradigm or the fax paradigm ages ago. And it didn't actually give us more leisure time. It actually kind of made work blend into our personal time more. As we're looking at human-centered AI, are we really just looking at a world where we're always kind of blending the work and the personal life because everything is so seamless? 
I think actually artificial intelligence will in some ways become boring and it will become part of our everyday. And take, for example, your smartphone. Your smartphone already has a bit of AI in it already. And the best technology is the technology that we don't notice. I think it will have a social impact. It will impact uh, people's jobs, I think. It will make things in some ways harder because it will automate some processes and people's jobs will change. Now, as humans, we don't like change and we do not like to be changed and I think that might be difficult for some people and I do understand that. But I really think the social aspect is an important piece. What you're talking about with humans that don't like change, I mean, if we go back to the business paradigm, I think this is one of the areas where, you know, what does it mean to put AI leadership into my company? Is How does that change the staffing? How does that change the company? How do you help executives think about that? Well, first of all, what I try to do is to encourage them to make AI part of their vision. I believe really strongly that the most successful companies are the ones that put the customer at the heart and centre of their vision for the company. Oh, I love that. Yes, it's absolutely true. And if you do that, you don't have to really watch so much what the competition are doing. And you can use AI as part of a wider strategy to make your customers more happy. The way that you can do that depends on how much you want to involve AI in your business. So you may want to start off simply by using AI to automate a process or make something smoother. So to use a handwriting example, maybe that handwritten form is a part of the way that the customer interacts with you. And if they get a faster service, they'll be happier. Everyone expects everything right now. That makes sense. Absolutely. Or you can make AI very much at the front and centre of the customer engagement strategy. So you could use chatbots or you could even use speech recognition. Speech analytics is a very important technology at the moment. Take, for example, you have Google and Alexa and you interact with these technologies using your speech. And AI is very much a part of that. So that's a stretch goal for many organisations. So to get started, I think organisations have to choose an actionable business problem that fits in with their overall strategy and their vision for the organisation. When they do that, they can usually solve a problem and that helps them to articulate the benefits of using AI. And that could be something like, we want to increase customer satisfaction. We are going to implement a process such as a chatbot to help our customers engage with us better. So once everyone in the team understands the benefit, we can start to de-risk the project. So we start to take some of the risk out of it. So we can say, well, we're going to do plenty of testing. Uh, we're going to develop, obviously, and we'll test internally first. And then that allows the projects to become almost like a beacon across the organisation that AI is coming and it's in place. What we don't want to do is delay the decision to use AI, because that's really kicking the can further down the road to someone else to pick up. And I really think the smart organisations want to use any tool possible in order to be very customer centred. And AI is just one of those tools, I think. So it's interesting when we talk about being customer centric and AI, and then the first example was about the handwriting, and then you mentioned the chatbots. Is there something particular about customer data that makes it better for AI or allows it to be a better target? I think that's a really good question because we start to think about how bias in the data can actually influence results. So for example, we know in some instances, 
services, some recruitment AI programs have inadvertently promoted men over women. And the reason for that is the AI has got more data about men in it. So it chooses basically what it knows and that introduces a bias. So what we have to do is recognise as humans and an AI as well that these biases exist. But it may also work the other way. Perhaps um, you do see sometimes that customer interactions can be influenced by the individual's particular biases. Um, so I know I've experienced this myself sometimes. Um, I'm, I'm fairly small and softly spoken and sometimes um, it's harder to fight to get attention if you feel aggrieved in some way as a customer. But if you're dealing with an AI like a chatbot or a customer interaction in that way, that really is removing some of the bias which maybe someone else might have against me. So I don't think the issue of bias is very clear cut, but I do think the customer data is crucial to really offering that really tailored and good service that customers now expect. That's a really interesting example because I think about the American Airlines number of eagles example that they arm their front line with. And I've never seen this in person, but the story goes something like this, where they weigh in not just your customer value, but how much pain you've been through recently. And then they arm the front line with a sense of which person should I upgrade first, second and third. Whereas before, perhaps it was left to the gate agent and the salesperson who's chatting up the gate agent might get more preference than someone who actually has been through hell and maybe doesn't have as high of status. And would that be a good example of a way that human bias can be overcome using artificial intelligence? I agree with that. I really do think, however, we need a strong moral compass. When we talk about technology, that can impact all sorts of things to make sure that customers get equitable treatment. Talking about airlines, I saw an example where they'd actually set up some algorithms to work out which families would be most likely to pay to sit together and the airline actually split up these families based on the algorithms because they felt it would make them more revenue so which is just shocking and for me that's a real bias because nobody around that table nobody who thought up the idea nobody who developed it no one who tested it ever thought hang on a minute is this the right thing to do because something is technically correct doesn't mean that it's morally correct and about you, but I know that when I travel with my son, I would really prefer to sit with him. And yes, I would pay to do that. And trust me, you want me to pay to sit next to my son as well, because he's going to be pestering me for sweets the whole way. So other people are, have a vested interest as well. It helps their journey. But fortunately, someone somewhere put the brakes on the idea, but it did make it through to the headlines. And I really think that we have to think very carefully when we use technology. And what it does, do, I think, is make visible these biases which maybe people did but never articulated before and maybe as a whole it will help improve service across the industry. I think we would be shocked in general. We tend to think that we are not very biased but there was the 
book that came out, I think it's called Everybody Lies, and he used the Google search results as evidence of how biased we actually are in a variety of ways across the United States in different segments and the things that we tended to search. And I wonder if this is really, if human-centered AI is really starting to shine a light or could shine a light on what's correct to do with the technology, like you said about the moral compass coming into the data. Is this an activity where a person might need a certain amount of ethics training to go alongside AI, perhaps like a new job or a new category? I'd agree that actually that should happen, even if it's not happening right now. I know many organisations have an induction process and that ethics could be embedded in as part of that process. But I do think the whole story about ethics really means that it should be an ongoing conversation and not something that we ever should stop talking about. And being customer-centred really means that we have to think about the ethics as we go along, especially if we see something in the news and we think, actually, that's not a good way to treat people. And we can see how customers respond to that. For example, the furore over the airline example really meant people thought more carefully. And I think we have to try and use technology for good purposes. And it can so easily be used for wrong purposes. One example is deep fake. Deep fake technology is all about, say, for example, taking someone's face and embedding it on a film. And there's been some really good examples, if you want to call it that, uh, involving Barack Obama, for example. But the fundamental truth is that these videos, these programs are ultimately fake. And I think we have to think very carefully with the technology being so easy to use, how it's used and how we can stop it as well. Now we can identify a deep fake as opposed to a real video. And does that take human judgment to create the model that identifies it? Or is it a combination of the AI and the human tuning the model that makes it come through? I think it's a combination. If you look at, um, say, Facebook, for example, or Twitter, they receive lots of reports for many different um, violations of conduct online. And some of those will be genuine violations and some might just be um, somebody attacking somebody online, which is not good, or it could just be something malicious. So, But what you do find is that these organisations are still recruiting people to look at the human aspect and make a human judgment, even though they're using technology as well. So I do think um, that we should almost call it augmented intelligence in a way because it augments what we're doing. It makes things faster and hopefully better for people. I really like that. Instead of artificial intelligence, calling it augmented intelligence because that keeps the human in the mix. And everything I read about AI seems to come back to the idea of judgment, that it's almost impossible to program or even come up with human judgment because it is cultural and changing. It's not very easy to embed. That's right. The example I like to think about is the example that Steve Wozniak gives. Apple's founder. Yeah, that's right. He gives an amazing example of which I'm going to call the Wozniak test. The Wozniak test is all about getting an AI to make you a cup of coffee. Now, that sounds really easy. But actually, when you think about the AI coming into your house, going through your cupboard, identifying the coffee, identifying the kettle and the water and giving you the right amount of ingredients in the right order at the right time, it involves an incredible amount of general knowledge. And that's what's difficult to 
view when we look at AI. So one definition I like of AI is actually to look at it and how it's being used. So we have artificial general intelligence, and that's what you alluded to earlier, that we saw Minority Report or Terminator, for example, and that's uh, an AI which has good general knowledge and expertise, common sense, as it were. But we also have artificial and um, narrow intelligence, ANI. Artificial narrow intelligence is what you have in Google or Alexa when you speak to the app. It's human inspired and human centered, but it's only very good at one thing, which is speech recognition. It's not doing everything. And I think that distinction allows businesses to really focus on AI leadership because they can start to narrow it down and say, well, how are we going to use AI? And the, the best thing they can do is to dismiss the notion of artificial general intelligence and pick up an example of artificial narrow intelligence that they find achievable and do it in small steps with achievable business goals. And when they narrow the scope down, that makes it more successful then. It's about proving success and proving it in a number of series, a series of small successive steps. And when you prove the AI in that way, it all leads up to a bigger success in the long term. I love that idea. And when we talk about success, there was an example you shared with me before. And I wonder if there's a role that companies can play to get beyond just product pushing and even get beyond customer satisfaction to be more centered in how do I improve my community or how do I improve the lives of the people that I serve? And the example you were talking about was about homelessness. Would you mind sharing that example again? Because I think it's so interesting, although I don't know that it directly connects to a company maybe it could. Yes, the example that I did was to try and analyse and predict who would be most likely to become homeless. Now that has a huge impact on savings because if you can intervene and get people to basically to catch them before they fall, then that is very human centred. But it also means you can have a real impact for that family. And there are uh, parallels, even though that was very much a case of social impact, you're still analysing people's behaviour and you are still trying to identify and predict an outcome. And for businesses, I think that's really what they want to do is analyse and understand the people that they're dealing with and then have a good impact for that person. So what you can do is think about their shopping habits, for example. I was just thinking about Facebook and their ability to identify people who are being bullied too much online and try to catch them before there's a negative outcome. But your example works too. Yes, I love that example and I wish there was more online opportunities for people to be caught bullying or to be caught in any sort of very bad online behaviour. That's coming back to the moral compass. I do think sometimes that's why Facebook is seeing less adoption with younger people now because they've had a really bad experience and they don't go back online after that. And I think that's a real shame in a way because the technology can be used for good. I'm in Facebook and I use it to connect with family members all over the world. So it can have a good use. For businesses, it does mean they can connect well with their customers as well. And it's nice when that happens. It's the really do think there should be more efforts put into trying to catch people who behave badly online. Do you think AI can help businesses develop, let's call it a U-shaped curve? In general, a business wants to go up and to the right, but in some cases, that straight line of going up and to the right makes them worse and worse at something, whether it's propagating bad media or trolls get more footing, or in the case of gambling, there's a big fish case where they were constantly 
getting more people to gamble and spend more money, there's a point where that's not a great business outcome because they're feeding a gambling addiction. So could AI help us create these U-shaped curves and ultimately be, like you said, more human-centered? I do really hope so. I think what we need to do is identify really good test cases. We also don't want to end up with a cobra effect where we end up with very unintended consequences. And I think that's what happens with Facebook in some ways as well. They let out a lot of data. They didn't think about it carefully. And then they ended up, uh, they are where they are now. And I think it's all about testing. I do think diversity and inclusion are crucial to these debates and discussions as well. Diversity and inclusion brings a different lens to the discussion. But I think also it brings something deeper than that. It means that people question each other and themselves more and hold each other to account more. And when that happens, I think you have a higher bar of success in a project than you might reach otherwise. If people give themselves a very low bar of success in a project, then the ethics can be missed out and we don't want that. So I think that's why having people of different backgrounds, different ages, um, different ethnicities, different genders, having a great mix of people as part of a team is so important to the success of technology. We don't want the future of technology to be held in the hands of a particular group of people. And we would encourage um, leaders who are listening to this podcast to think about their diversity mix and why that's important. It means a higher bar of success for the organization and also for the customer. I love that. Well, Jen, if people want to reach you, what is the best way for them to get in touch? They can reach me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I also blog over at jenstirrup.com and my company website where I also blog is datarelish.com. This is a great site to check out just to keep up with what's going on. I enjoyed reading through your blogs myself. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. As always, links to everything we discussed, including Jen's site and blog, are going to be at ambitiondata.com slash podcast. Jen, thank you so much for joining us today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you very much, Alison. Thank you to you and the Ambition Data team for having me along today. Thank you. Remember, everyone, when you use your data effectively, you can build customer equity. It is not magic. It's just a very specific journey that you can follow to get results. Thank you for joining today's show. This is your host, Alison Hartzell, and I have two gifts for you. First, I've written a guide for the customer-centric CMO, which contains some of the best ideas from this podcast, and you can receive it right now. Simply text Ambition Data, one word, to 31996. And after you get that white paper, you'll have the option for the second gift, which is to receive the signal. Once a month, I put together a list of three to five things I've seen that represent customer equity signal, not noise. And believe me, there's a lot of noise out there. Things I include could be smart tools I've run across, articles I've shared, cool statistics, or people and companies I think are making amazing progress as they build customer equity. I hope you enjoy the CMO guide and the signal. See you next week on the Customer Equity Accelerator.